Kissing is much more important than people think it is because it says a huge amount about you. My people who were over age 45 showed just as much intense romantic passion as did those who were under 25. Coming up, Ariane talks with human behavior expert and best-selling author Helen Fisher, next on Change Nation from the first 30 days. Welcome to Change Nation. I'm Ariane, and the question today is, is there a science to love? This is a question that Rutgers University anthropologist and PhD Helen Fisher has explored throughout much of her career. Her extensive research on love, marriage, sex, and gender differences has found that there's much more going on in your body when you say, I love you, than you may realize. She's considered one of the world's experts on the science of human attraction. She's also the author of four books, including most recently, Why We Love, The Nature and Chemistry of Romantic Love, and The First Sex, The Natural Talents of Women, and how they are changing the world. Today we're going to talk to Helen about the first 30 days of finding romance and what we need to know about love and attraction. Helen, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be with you. So let's start with finding romance and especially finding the right partner. So mm-hmm. when, it, when it comes to the first 30 days, what are some important things that we should do or look for to find that right relationship? Well, first of all, the brain is well built to do that. So, you you know, I mean, you lead with your heart and you, I mean, this is a very important thing. And you want to have a wonderful sex life with them. You want to be intensely romantically in love with them. And you want to be deeply attached to them. And the brain is built to size somebody up on all three of those, uh, in all three of those categories. <laughs> Um, the first thing that happens when you are looking around is just simply looking at them. I mean, just by looking at somebody, you can actually learn a great deal more about their biology than you are aware of. Uh, and, um, you know, I mean, almost instantly, when you walk into a room, you might not fall in love with anybody, or, you know, instantly, but immediately you'll find some particular people attractive. And they're either in or out. I mean, too old, too young. Uh, too pink, too green, um, too scruffy, uh, you know, um, wearing something that just doesn't relate to your lifestyle and background, and they're not going to be considered in the ballpark. And so just simply looking at them is absolutely essential. And you you got to like what you like. <laughs> Look, uh, what you see. But as a matter of fact, you know, people get better and better looking. When you fall in love with somebody, they become extremely good looking to you. I mean, you can overlook their flaws and, and focus on what you... Um, and on focus on on what you like, but the next thing that happens is you begin to they open their mouth and uh, right off the bat they're going to say something about their background, uh, their level of intelligence, uh, uh, their level of education, uh, some of their interests, some of their interest in you, what they, some of their intentions. And once again, it's like a funnel. You 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 take a look at them and you listen to them and you suddenly discover that. They're a diehard Republican, and you're a diehard Democrat. That might be hard to get around. Uh, they're very religious, and you're not at all religious. That might be difficult. So we, we're constantly sizing people up and, 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 and extricating those that, that don't have our values, that don't have our goals, that don't have our uh, intellectual interests, uh, who, we, who we can't use in one way or another. And I don't mean use, take advantage of. I mean... We fall in love with somebody who can give us what we need and whom we can give what they need. And so all of these factors play a role as you're trying to decide. In terms of what you actually see when you have done all this MRI imaging, what what do you actually see in the brain of two people that are in love and when they're falling in love? 
Well, um, I and my colleagues have put uh, 32 people who were madly in love into the functional MRI brain scanner, and, and 17 were happily in love, and uh, 15 had just been rejected. So among those that were happily in love, we found activity in a lot of brain regions, actually, but we found particular activity in a tiny little factory near the base of the brain called the ventral tegmental area, known as the VTA. We found activity in some cells that actually make dopamine, which is a natural stimulant, and spray this dopamine to to several brain regions. And dopamine is associated um, with energy, uh, with motivation, with focused attention, and often with craving um, and elation. So when you're madly in love with somebody, that rush of intense passion is 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 uh, produced at least uh, largely by dopamine and and related uh, chemicals. So that's what gives you that high. Is there an age where all of that starts in the brain? There doesn't seem to be. I've done a questionnaire on um, um, 800 and, <clears throat> excuse me, 37 people, um, over 400 Americans and over 400 Japanese, and my people who were over age 45 showed just as much intense romantic passion as did those who were under 25. And, in fact, the only other study of this was of uh, they studied people in, by questionnaires, um, between ages 16 and 60, and they found that people in their 50s showed just as much romantic passion as those who were 16 years old. And as a matter of fact, I put myself in the uh, MRI machine when I was madly in love with somebody in my mid-50s, and my brain showed more activity than did uh, all of our participants who were between the ages of 18 and 26. So it can happen at any age. As a matter of fact, I know a little boy who's two and a half and there's one little girl, when she comes over for a play date, he just sits next to her and, and just uh, strokes her hair, and then he's depressed for about an hour and a half after she leaves. He's in love with her. This brain system is like the fear system in the brain. It can be triggered at any age. What's going on in the brain of someone who hasn't been attracted to anyone for a long time? I think that there are many things. First of all, nobody knows, but uh, let's, let's, there's many things. First of all, uh, I'm really hot on this topic of, of not taking antidepressants if you want to fall in love. You know, if you take an SSRI, which is a serotonin-enhancing antidepressant like Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, etc., these drugs drive up serotonin in the brain, and that's why you take them, because they make you calm, they make you less obsessive, uh, uh, they make you sleep better, etc., etc. So people are taking them, um, but what the problem is, not that they're taking them, that's not a problem. If you really need the drugs, you should take them. But people are taking them long-term when after their depression is lifted. And what elevated activity of serotonin does is it suppresses this dopamine circuit. So I think, and my uh, colleague at this uh, psychiatrist, Andy Thompson, we both feel that um, these drugs can jeopardize your uh, ability to fall in love or to stay in love. And um, so the first thing I would wonder about somebody who has not fallen in love for a long time is whether they're taking antidepressants. And there's other things, too. Uh, some people are getting over a bad love affair. Um, some people are afraid to fall in love because they've been terribly hurt. Uh, some people are just working so hard they just haven't put themselves in the right um, context to find somebody. They're not looking properly. Um, other people are in poor health, and so they're not signaling others that they would be a good good bet. Uh, you know, there's many reasons that we don't find love. Well, and how quickly 
can you fall in love? And my assumption would be that you do believe in, in love at first sight. Yeah, I do. I know, I, I can't say I believe in it. I say it, it's simply there. Uh, you know, when you take, take, I think this brain system for romantic love um, evolved from in our long evolutionary past, and it came from what I call animal attraction. All animals have favorites. They will, you know, a female elephant will, she'll come into estrus and there'll be all kinds of males following her. And she won't be interested in any of them. And suddenly she'll see one male that's right for her. And boom, she'll go straight towards him and behave as if she's in love with him. She will, she'll follow him. She'll dote on him. He'll follow her, actually. But she'll dote on him. She'll put her trunk in his mouth. She'll, she'll stand next to him. She'll copulate very readily with him. Uh, she shows all the signs of, of an individual who is in love. So this brain system for romantic love can be triggered extremely rapidly. You know, I think we could all sort of walk into a party and scan the room and find some people that we think that we would be attracted to. In one study of 100 people, 10 of the 100 said that they had felt love at first sight. And you look at uh, poetry from around the world and other people in other places also express it. So it's a real phenomenon. This brain system can be triggered fast. And this is a question I've gotten from a lot of people who knew I was interviewing you this morning. How long should you date before you know if this person is someone you could have as a life partner? This is a very good question, and it's a very difficult question. And uh, I, I, uh, nobody really knows the answer. You know, some people are in arranged marriages, and before the marriage is arranged, they, their parents want them to go out four or five times and meet the person and talk with them and decide whether they want to spend their lives with them. And these can work very successfully after just a few dates with somebody. You can know a great deal about their values, their interests, whether you find them physically attractive, uh, whether they laugh at your jokes, whether you laugh at theirs, whether you see the world in the same way, whether you think you can make this work. So it can happen very rapidly or it can happen after years. I mean, for example, Let's say you're just friends with somebody, and, and it's a neighbor, and you don't think twice about having a long-term relationship with them. I mean, they're married to somebody else, and so are you, and you make friends, and it never occurs to you, and you don't even attract to them. Then their partner leaves them or dies, and your partner leaves or dies, or you leave your partner, and suddenly, boom, this person becomes... Some, you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I could make a life. How wonderful. And you fall in love with them. So it can take hours, days, weeks, months, or years. Let's talk about clues. I know that you've researched a lot about kissing is one thing. If a kiss is bad, is this a, a big sign of what's to come? Kissing is much more important than people think it is because it says a huge amount about you. You know, in saliva is testosterone and also indications of what your immune system is like. So as you're kissing somebody, you're smelling them, and you are unconsciously, your brain is responding to their immune system. And often we find somebody being a bad kisser, and it is thought that we think they're a bad kisser because their immune system is wrong for us. We're actually attracted to people with quite a different immune system than our own. And the closer you, 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 your immune system is to the other person's immune system, the more likely it is that you might reject the fetus. So um, not only when you kiss somebody do you, are you unconsciously learning things about their immune system, about their sexuality, certainly, but their um, intentions, uh, their patience, uh, their health, um, and 
over 50% of both men and women have reported that they were really enormously attracted to somebody until they kissed them and that the kiss stopped their attraction. So, you know, we remember our first kiss and we remember it for good Darwinian biological reasons. It tells us a lot about somebody. Helen, I want to talk about sex too. How important is it to have sex regularly for the brain to remain attracted? Well, I think that's going to be different for different people. Um, uh, there's some personality types who really don't regard sex as very important. Uh, there's other parts of the relationship they regard as exceedingly important, and sex is sort of an extra for them. And as long as both partners agree on that issue, um, it's a perfectly fine thing. You know, these three brain systems, the sex drive, romantic love, and attachment, definitely are related to each other. And any kind of sexual stimulation of the genitals uh, drives up dopamine in the brain associated with romantic love. This is why I think it's important to have sex with somebody, if you're interested in it, because it's going to sustain feelings of romantic love also. And after um, orgasm, there's a real flood in the brain of oxytocin and vasopressin, and these chemicals are associated with feelings of deep attachment to a partner. So this is why after having sex with somebody you love, you can feel such a sense of cosmic union and, and connection to them. Sex can not only make you want to have more sex, which is good for you. I mean, it's good for the skin, it's good for the respiration, and it's good for the muscles, but it can also sustain levels of romantic love and attachment. So the more sex you have, the more you want with the person, too. So, uh, you know, I personally think it's a good idea to sustain your sex life. Have you done any research about whether people are more attracted to others of their own race or culture or age or people that look like them? Actually, I'm going to study um, how uh, attraction to people who look like them. But um, because I'm working with this dating internet dating site, chemistry.com, it's the sister site of match.com, and I have a questionnaire. Actually, 3.7 million people have taken the questionnaire, and I've got all their pictures, and I've got their words, so I'm going to start studying whether certain facial features are attracted to other certain facial features, because facial features actually do say a great deal about your body chemistry. But um, that that I will do this spring. Can you make any conclusions or any research about whether people are more attracted to others of their own race, culture, age? Oh, yes. Um, Around the world, people are, by and large, more attracted to people of their own um, uh, racial background, ethnic background, and cultural background. Um, Probably for good Darwinian reasons, there's going to be less conflicts about how you cook the steak or how you deal with the in-laws and, you know, how you raise the children and what you regard as your goals and and values. Uh, You know, the, the farther you get from from marrying people in your own culture, the the more of these little complications can arise. On the that said, in a 1994 study of um, of of marriage, sex and marriage, um, they found that interracial marriages had 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 gone up 800 percent. Now maybe that's not saying a lot because maybe there were very few before, and now there's 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 more. But I think we're going to see more and more interracial marriage uh, because of the, you know, the connectivity of, of, of the entire world. Among the young, um, people tend to marry somebody who's um, within about three years of their, their age. 
uh, women tend to marry men about uh, two or three years older than themselves. And the older you get, particularly if you remarry, you're more and more likely to marry somebody of a of a different age group. And one of the things we're seeing really now is more what they call cougars. We're seeing older women um, marrying younger men and going out with younger men. And that's an interesting trend. We're seeing a lot of fle- more flexibility in when you marry and who you marry and 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 even what you want in a marriage. I wanted to come back to your work that you're doing with chemistry.com. This, the questionnaire, how does that work if that initial physical contact and attraction and touch needs to be there to sort of figure out whether someone is a good fit? Well, chemistry.com is this, be the first to say to you that to get right out there and meet this person. They call it love at first sight. You've got to go out and meet the person. And what they recommend is that you meet them in a coffee shop for 20 minutes, no more than 20 minutes, uh, during the day in a safe, comfortable, very uh, public place. Uh, what chemistry.com does and what all the rest of the dating sites do, too, is provide you with people to meet. Uh, that's the point of these. Then you got to go out and meet them. One of the benefits of chemistry.com is that uh, we do the matching for you. In other words, you take my questionnaire. Using that questionnaire and and a lot of other data, we sort of try to narrow the field so you don't have to, you know, go through a thousand profiles. Um, and uh, chemistry chemistry.com gives you um, five uh, people a day, which is actually mounts up very rapidly. Um, that's one of the problems with all these dating sites is people get the feeling that there's always a better one out there so they don't pay attention to, you know, what what they've been given. They want a lot of choices, but when they're given a lot of choices, their ability to choose goes down. We want to give you enough, and but we don't want to so overwhelm you that uh, you don't take anybody. <laughs> yeah. Helen, is same-sex attraction something that's explained by chemistry? You know, they've worked on that for a long time, other scientists. And uh, first of all, I think that the brain circuitry of romantic love is going to be exactly the same in gays and lesbians as it is in straights. I've always felt that. I mean, it's like the fear system in the brain. It doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight. You still feel fear in the same way. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. You still feel love and you still feel the sex drive and you still feel attachment. I don't think these brain systems change. Who you fall in love with is going to vary. I mean, in in a, you know, same sex as opposed to uh, different sex patterns. But I I think that that is way overdone. Uh, for example, on, on Chemistry.com, I match gays and that's exactly the way I do straights. For example, if you're a curious person, you want to hang around with somebody who's curious like you. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. Um, if you're a cautious, pers- cautious but not fearful, conventional person, if, it doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight, you're still going to be attracted to somebody who is like you. If you are very verbal and uh, flexi- mentally flexible, those kinds of people tend to be attracted to people who are tough-minded and, and analytical and vice versa. In, in that case, it won't matter whether you're gay or straight. You're still going to be attracted to somebody who's somewhat different from you. Here's another one. Does chemistry explain why men and women cheat? And do either one cheat more than the other in, in this day? Yeah, I'm glad you asked instead of just assuming. Uh, you know, most people assume that men are more um, adulterous than women are. And uh, I like to say to them, who do you think all these adulterous men are having sex with? I mean, you know, 
let's do the math. I think that women are just as adulterous as men. And, and in fact, you know, it's amazing when, when you study adultery how little we really know. I've looked at adultery in 42 societies, and I tell you, we found it in every one. I looked in hunting and gathering societies, tribal societies, and in those societies, every adult who's at least healthy um, is married. So the women are sleeping around just the way the men are. And is there chemistry involved? There's chemistry involved in everything. Uh, You know, we're chemically attracted to certain people, Uh, not only their looks and their sense of humor and their status and their values, but we're pulled to certain people because of body chemistry. This is the this is what my next book is going to be about. I've studied 40,000 people and who they choose to go out with on chemistry.com, the dating site, and we are pulled biologically to some genetic types rather than other genetic types. And, uh, and this, those patterns are probably going to be the same whether you're married or not. Is there something that people can do to make breakups less painful? Anything from yoga to anything that might influence the brain and the coming off of that attraction and connection? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm studying the brain that's been rejected in love. In my book, Why We Love, I I devote a whole chapter to this. I think you've got to treat uh, rejection as an addiction. You know, when you've been rejected in love, the brain circuits for reward, for wanting, just get stronger. You want them more. The obsession can escalate rather than decrease. I think you have to treat it as an addiction. Get rid of the cards and letters, put them in a box, put them in the attic, put them in the back of a closet. Don't call, don't write, don't see the person. Don't ask your friends about the person. After a while, stop talking about it because it just raises the ghost again. Get out and get some exercise. Sunlight is good for changing mood. I don't mean lying in the sun, but just being out. Um, Be with old friends where you can stimulate the brain systems for attachment. Go out and do new things. Novelty uh, stimulates the dopamine system in the brain, makes you uh, uh, feel better. Find some mantras that you can repeat to yourself over and over when you're in a bad position. I used to use one myself when I was trying to leave a relationship. I would say, I love being myself in a lovely home of my own. And what are you saying there? What I'm saying is, okay, I'm okay with me, and I'm happy in, in, in this other place. Maybe you could use the thing, I love being myself with a lovely man of my own. As if it's already happened to you, as if you've already found that new person. You know, stick with the positive. Don't go with the negative. You know, I'm never going back to him. I've been so hurt. Don't run over all the bad things. Think of something positive and just say it to yourself. But the last thing you should do is sit down. You've got somebody camping in your head. They're going to start talking to you the moment you give them a chance. (laughs) Helen, the way that we end off all our interviews on the show is to ask all the experts that have been on the exact same three very, very short, brief questions. Okay. And they have nothing to do with the subject matter. They're more general life philosophy. The first one is, what is the belief that you personally go to during times of change? Oh, well, my life is constant change. And I regard it as an enormous opportunity. And when life is when life is maybe presenting you changes that are a little tougher or more challenging, is there a rock base foundation or belief that keeps you going through? I guess what I say, I guess I repeat to myself, I can do this. Beautiful. Complete this sentence. The best thing about change is? The best thing about 
change is opportunity. But you know what I was going to say? The best thing about change is the thrills. <laughs> Absolutely. And the last question is, what is the best change that you've ever made? I chose anthropology as a career. Beautiful. Helen, what a pleasure to hear your wisdom and insights. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining me on the Change Nation show. We've been talking with Helen Fisher, considered one of the world experts on the science of human attraction. For more information about her and her work, her research and her four wonderful books, please visit her site at www.helenfisher.com. And for other interviews with some terrific experts, please come visit us at first30days.com. Thanks for listening to Change Nation from the first 30 days. Please visit us on iTunes in the Society and Culture podcast section under Philosophy. Remember to take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of the First 30 Days LLC, copyright 2008, all rights reserved.